everybody, and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and we have a bonus episode for you this week because last week I sat down with my buddy Elliot Barr. He hosts the uh, River City 93 podcast, and he hosts the Can I Kick It podcast. There may be several more Elliot Elliot hustles, um, but Can I Kick It is the one that I was on uh, last week. I think it was meant to be about a 30-minute conversation about why leagues don't do a better job of combating racism and kind of what they've tried to do, leagues around the world. It kind of spiraled. We, I think we went 90 minutes in total. So instead of Elliot releasing all of that in one big chunk, we figured he'll release part one in his feed. Uh, so it's over on Can I Kick It? It's episode number 70. And then this would be part two here on Soccer 101. Uh, I would say listen to them in sequential order. That makes probably the most sense. But thanks so much for listening. I hope you all enjoy and talk to you next week. That'd be the incident in 2010 where this is a team that just came off a World Cup final but the whole team goes to crap at the South Africa World Cup. Mm. But all the focus is on Patrick Vieira, Terry yep. Henry, mm-hmm. um, Sagna about how they are ripping the team apart and how we need to become more French yep. and we need to bring in more French people. Mm-hmm. You know, and just seeing that coverage because we did an episode on it. Um, it it's just we when you look at Liga, this is a league that kind of reminds me once again of like the Premier League mm-hmm. about how. They have the information out there, but the, are the actions truly being done? And that's why I find myself questioning a lot of the times, like, all right, you say you're doing this, but what actions are being done? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think – I don't really know which league I would say takes the most action or does the most. I'm not sure any of them do a great job. I feel yeah. like U.S. soccer, if anything, has tried more recently to do some things. But even there, I don't know. There was a thing about how they were going to, like, ban Mexico from – uh, playing in the U.S. if they did the chant again. And it's just like, I don't know if y'all are actually going to do that or if that's just a thing you're saying because it's good PR. In the yeah. Moment. But anyway, I think France is, is, I don't know, again, speaking maybe out of ignorance because I'm not like the biggest French football fan, but that does seem to be the one that has consistently those types of issues where players are criticized for their background and for their skin color uh, when things go poorly. That seems yeah. to be, and rarely does it seem to be even though, like, Raymond Dominic, of that, the coach of that club, was, like, a crazy person who consulted an astrologer about picking the team and stuff, like, he gets criticized. But I think sometimes we blame other things than the things that should be blamed, like yeah. a bad coach who didn't prepare the team tactically at all. This kind of feels like uh, – we'll move on to another guy, but it kind of feels like the flip side of, like, Serie A, whereas, like, Serie A gets readily mocked, and gratefully so, mm-hmm. for how they deal with it. But it kind of, like, with France, it's kind of just, like – Eh. Yeah, I think there's not as much of like a spotlight on France. I, again, Probably I think that's so. a big thing with the Premier League. I think that's kind of the thing with Major League Soccer too. But we'll talk about them in a little yeah. bit. So, by a fact, let's. Well, before we go, I was mm-hmm. about to skip over La Liga. So this is what La Liga says, and I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of impressed uh-huh. a little. Bit. I was left a little bit impressed. So this La Liga said the second La Liga week um, against racism is another step in La Liga's ongoing fight against racism, discrimination, and intolerance in football. One of the measures it is taking is to act as a private prosecutor in all complaints of racism, chanting, or possible hate crimes that take place at football grounds. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, like they had the La Liga um, racism work, which I think kind of came into light when um, – Vinicius yeah. got um, called out a couple of times for – I mean, like, hung in effigy. Yeah. yeah. That'll – That'll that'll do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> they were like, nah, we, we got to crack down on this. So I would say like from a La Liga standpoint, and I never thought about like how they handle it. Mm-hmm. But it does make a lot of sense because you do have a lot of black footballers coming from Brazil or – um, like Senegal or Nigeria mm. coming coming into those coming into Spain to play. Yep, and I think they're trying to get ahead of it, but it's also like another thing. Like it's something that's kind of embedded in this culture. Yeah, and I think again you get like the coded language along the way because a lot of it was about like Venetius dancing and how he's too yeah. flamboyant and he's too about the spotlight and about himself and. Like, strangely, that doesn't get said about, say, Neymar, for example. I don't feel like that same – I guess he got criticized for diving. But I, I just feel like there's definitely different standards for how you can judge a player in La Liga and in a lot of other leagues. But the, the Vinny Jr. stuff is really overt. And th- there's been 
Like the effigies, there have been, uh, I think, bananas thrown, there have been the monkey chants, yeah. and it's been consistent. I, as far as I know, La Liga hasn't done a ton yet. Have you seen anything? I haven't really okay. seen anything. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just another one. I mean, I think there's like little instances, and again, maybe I can get it wrong, but like the, uh, the Nico and Yaki Williams playing for, uh, for Athletic Bilbao and like being considered Basque because that's where they, I think they were. There's that tiny little spot in North Africa that is still Spanish, and they got into there when they were kids, and so then they were Spanish, and they relocated to the Basque country, but yeah. they were raised in the Basque country, so they're considered Basque, so they play for a Basque team. So there's, I think, club-by-club examples where it doesn't seem to be as, I don't know, baked in as part of it, but I think you still get those those moments of overt racism from time to time in Spain. Yeah. And even like even when I talk about... Like, Raising of a black person, you kind of associate with Catalonia, FC Barcelona, and mm-hmm. Espanyol of like how they're treated versus like there's always this weird di- weird dichotomy that I see of how Catalonia is covered when they play like Spanish teams mm-hmm. or how like oh no we're Catalonia we're not Spanish mm-hmm. and whatnot and that that always kind of like piqued my interest. Yeah, way. I mean, I think like because they couldn't what is illegal to speak Catalan under yeah. General Franco and. Lots of, uh, I think that's why Johan Cruyff named his kid uh, Jordi, which is a Catalan name, because you weren't legally allowed to do that, so he did it anyway. Because Johan Cruyff is Johan Cruyff, I love him. Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely the the weird like regionalism of Spain is one that I've never fully, I think, understood because I've never been to Spain, yeah. but well, it um, is strangely broken apart like that, right? Yeah. Or even like like we just talked about like the Basque country. About I remember there was a famous story. Um, about how the Basque flag wasn't able to be flu for like multiple years. Mm-hmm. I think it was like during the eighties, and then Athletic Bilbao and Real Sociedad got into a final. Mm-hmm. And like at the end of the game, like they pulled up the Basque flag because both were like, "Hey, we're both Basque. Yep. Like, we're raising this mm-hmm. flag." And how that was like crazy hysteria, also. But it's, I think in Spain, I, you probably won't hear about outside of Venetian. I think the reason why Venetians got. The publicity that did it is because I literally, literally had a black figure hanging from a bridge, and they were like, "All right, we we got to do something about this." Yeah. But I yeah. think outside of that, you won't see it because I, and normally like most black people go through this, where it's like, "Is this enough of an issue for me to bring up and know what I'm going to call legal fees and knowing that I'm not going to get the promise work?" Because I think that's the reason why you don't see a lot of black players bring it up. And leagues in Europe because they don't feel like the support is going to be there. Or when they bring it up to a court case, they're talking to mm-hmm. people that don't look like them. So when I present this information, am I going to be believed or even yet, am I going to be heard? Do you feel, I mean, it feels like that is a pretty common thing of almost like Raheem Sterling when they, when they, uh, when he was racially abused, I think he talked about just the feeling of like all I could do is laugh. And, and I think Robbie Earl was then saying like that's a thing he's very familiar with that. Like, that's what you have to do because you know nothing else is going to happen. So, like, when black players say, like, all I can do is laugh at that, it sort of is them presenting a, like, it doesn't affect me, I don't care, public face. But it's also, I think, an awareness of, like, nothing's going to happen if I, like, complain about this or try to, you know, press action or something. So there's, I think, almost a, like, a not a defeated mentality, but just a, like, there's nothing to be done. I guess bleak. I guess pragmatist. <laughs> whatever you want to go with, it feels like that. That does sometimes happen as well. Yeah. It, it reminds me of what my friend Gregor, who does for the culture show, always says of like, "What happened to the good old days of your mama jokes? Like, why is the <laughs> first thing you go to is racism? Right? Yeah, like there's no buffer." That's the thing, and that goes back to like Serie A when they're like, "What is trying to get in your head?" It's like there are plenty of like you can make fun of his touch. Rom Lukaku is a terrible touch. Why do you got to go straight to the one thing? Like, there's other things that you could rip right. on him for, not just that. Right. Like, talk about anything else. Yeah. You don't have to talk about the color of the skin. I don't know. Um, so let's bring in more stateside. So we, we're talking about MLS. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, once again, this episode got prompted because of how MLS dealt with uh, racism mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, I mean, it's a country that we live in, so this is going to be a great conversation. <laughs> um, so uh, this is MLS quote. Has America not solved racism? I thought no, we were good. I no, thought... we haven't. We, we've been working at this for almost 400 years, and we have failed every single year. <laughs> a consistent F across the board. So we're working on it is what I'm hearing. 
We're making lots of progress, though. It's all the post-racial America. We're all fine. Don't worry about it. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so MLS says this. MLS Soccer is committed to utilizing our, our wide-ranging platforms mm-hmm. to create meaningful programs to address racism and social injustice in society in the sport of soccer, says MLS Commissioner Don Garber mm-hmm. in Monday's announcement. Importantly, alongside key stakeholders, including MLS owners, Black Players for Change, former players, black members of our technical staff, and other employees, we have created a series of initiatives to close the representation gap across soccer in U.S. and Canada. Mm. Now, in saying that, we are talking about a league that, correct me if I'm wrong, that is still mostly covered by straight white guys, Mm -hmm. that all his owners are straight white guys. As far as I know, yeah. Uh, oh, I, th- I think St. Louis might be women-owned, but that's, yes. that's maybe the the rare exception. Maybe the rare exception, yes. St. Louis is. Outside of two head coaches that are of color, white. Yeah. Um, this is a statement that comes from 2020 when MLS, I want to say, was at the forefront of the PR thing. Like, I remember the whole black player for change and them walking out of the field in Orlando and, like, I'm not going to lie. At that moment, I felt kind of proud and cool. Like, uh-huh. oh, snap. They really are recognizing it. But it's like I kind of in this weird relationship with MLS where I felt like they being good, mm-hmm. but no one's in that room directing them how to do good. Yeah. I think uh, MLS, I think, is very like trying to be one of the major sports in this country and thus trying to present themselves as – like Don Garber talking about how they're going to be the best league in the world and how they're making all these strides and how everyone should be excited. I think with that, there's a fear of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, or pissing anybody off one way or the other. And so I think sometimes they try to walk it right down the middle. And when you walk it down the middle enough times, you're kind of never picking a side. And so yeah. that's what it ends up feeling like. It's like they talk out of their both sides of their mouth. Right. It, it very much feels that way. Like they want to be inclusive and welcoming everyone. And my thing is, like, <clears throat> you can't be welcoming to people that are apparently racist. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, do you feel like – so I think with MLS, though, you're talking about, like, coaches yeah. with, like, the way it's covered. Do you feel like the Venzier one with the Red Bulls is the obvious one of late? Yeah. Do you feel like you hear as much about racism in the league as you do in other leagues? Because I don't, but I don't know if that's because it just doesn't get discussed as much. Uh, <sighs> but I think there's uh, certainly – not trying to say MLS is the best at dealing yeah. with it. It's just it does seem like it doesn't happen as often in my mind. But again, could very well be wrong on that. I don't think I hear about it as much, but I also I'm kind of like that conspiracy theory with mm-hmm. MLS. Oh boy! Oh boy! Here we go. I'm excited for what we're getting. Into. <coughs> See, bad. they're making you cough. That's Don Ooh. Garber. There we go. Yeah, try to give you the required. Oh, so. I'm, I'm a little conspiracy there with MLS because mm-hmm. I feel like MLS a lot of the times wants you to hear what they're doing but not actually see what they're doing. Oh, is that a conspiracy theory? Because, yes, that's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, that's, that definitely feels so, right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. like in terms of this, what I mean is like, yes, we have the Black Players for Change. And not that, I'm not attacking that organization because that organization is doing an amazing job. But mm-hmm. I'm saying like as far as MLS goes, like, like even in his own statement, they said like we want to, we want to create an initiative for those – the representation gap. Mm-hmm. And we're into year three. And I'm not saying change had to happen immediately, but it's like, how many coaches have been fired since 2020? Plenty. And <laughs> yeah. how many of those have been? Oh, I must take it. I lied. There's three black coaches in MLS. Columbus, Colorado, Chicago. Okay. My fault. Three. But like, how many have been, like, you you have how many other job owners have we had? Not even in coaching, like mm. front office staff. Would you like to see something? It's the Rooney Rule in NFL, right? Yeah. Which they then obviously don't always do. No, <laughs> I think that gets covered plenty. Like, would you like to see something like that with mandatory interviews? I would like to see something in case of where, like, you're. You're taking a due diligence to hire the right person, mm-hmm. but it's not like the good old boys network. Like you can't just be like, "Oh, job over there, you apply for it, take it." Like mm-hmm. that's what it, it kind of feels like. It happens a lot of times, even with like media coverage. And God rest his soul, Grant Wall. Like me and him got into an argument about this mm-hmm. about like even when it comes to media, U.S. soccer media coverage of like how like now I really I really 
really feel like after the 2018 workout where the the failure in Trinidad happened, like mm-hmm. there was a boom and like independent in, in independent soccer mm-hmm. media mm-hmm. where like guys like me are now covering like talking mm-hmm. about leagues and stuff like that. But you still have like this ceiling of like no, these are like the main guys. Well, like oh, yourself. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, wall. yeah, no, like there's the the five. Oh, you put me in there. I wouldn't put me in there. No, I appreciate I, I, that, sir. That's, you have been on MLS.com. I mean, that's that's kind of you, but uh, no, I am definitely like if you do any U.S. soccer press conference, there's like five people to get called on right away. Like, yeah. no, I mean, I know what you mean. There's yeah. definitely like the old boys network yeah. that, that have been around that are definitely going to be the ones who uh, get. If not preferential treatment, that I think there is a little bit of a like I've had that a couple times with, with people. I won't name names, but like with people being like, "Who are you? Like, why are you here? You don't you don't belong." And it's just like you know, I think that exists in U.S. soccer for sure. That there's yeah. definitely a I think that's also journalism to some extent. That it's yeah. a oh, there's a ruthlessness and I like this is my story. I was here first, but I do also think there was a I've been covering this since nobody was. So now you're jumping in on it. Uh, like I, I'm the one here who's doing it first, and I do think. That tends to be people who were in print media in the 90s, and that <laughs> tends to be a lot of white people. Yeah, and I, I honestly – I mean, honestly, I feel like there is that feeling of like, all right, if there's something – like this story that happened, right? I feel like it get covers in a way of like we have to protect the league. We have to protect the image of the league so we yeah, can't speak exactly. yeah. negative of what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's like I get that. There's a time and place where, you, you know, you got to protect – Protect the brand, protect. Mm-hmm. But there's also cases where it's like, yo, call that out. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that's kind of what I feel with a lot of these leagues. Is there is, it's just so many statements to me are are pretty clearly written by PR firms, or yeah. or they've been workshopped and gone through, and like, how do we say the thing without offending this group or this group? And, and so that so often comes, and politicians do the same thing. It, it then comes across as a thing that you don't really believe. But you have been told by enough people that this is the acceptable thing to say that you can say and still have an impact but not upset people. And it does feel like sometimes you get that with with MLS that you're getting sort of actions or statements that just aren't that – it's not calling it out. It's not being like, yeah, that was bullshit. I don't, am I allowed to curse on here? Yeah, you're Okay. Uh, like, yeah, the, you don't get that like just sort of human response. You get the – you know, after an internal investigation, you get the AI and after exactly, exactly. it's it just it feels like base covering a lot of the time. Yeah, that's why I feel like a lot of what MLS does like is a lot of base covering. Like, talk about like the Rebels Day, for instance, where it's like mm-hmm. Stuber heard this, it still didn't enact it, mm-hmm. and whereas like like we always joke about it, where it's like eh, it's racist, it's a little bit of racism. We heard nobody yeah. like whereas like. Like, dude, no, like, <laughs> like, do the right thing. Like, even, like, D.C. Now, Taxi Futas didn't, like, they said he did. It was real murky. Mm-hmm. Like, did I think they said that he did it, but there was no substantial proof or something. Mm-hmm. But, like, Wayne Rooney took him off and he didn't play the rest yeah. of the year. Whereas, like, okay, cool. But it felt like MLS was let off the hook of having to suspend him because mm-hmm. Wayne Rooney, D.C. United yeah. already did it. Which, yeah. By the way, if DC United, the team that could not stream a U.S. Open Cup game, is at the forefront of race relations, your league is in trouble. Oof. That was real frustrating. That was real frustrating. You got the nice call out on the on the the stream though. That was nice. I know. I, I heard like, that. Oh, I was like, okay, yeah, right. Elliot's getting some love. I would have loved to have heard that while watching the game. Right. That would have been fun. But I yeah. felt like I was back in the 1920s. So I'm like, <laughs> it, I gotta right? gotta tune my radio. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, it's like. You have that is, but then Stuber is like, oh well, he he didn't know, yeah. and I feel like that's always the fallback of that you always hear when mm-hmm. someone says something racist or yeah. does something racist. It's like, oh, whether that from they don't know, mm-hmm. so is an excuse. It's like if I go to England and mm-hmm. I kick a, a royal guard in the kneecap, mm-hmm. I can't follow the excuse of well, I didn't, I know. didn't know. Yeah, no, I mean, so I think like uh, I talked about this a little bit on our show that. There's a line because, like, I, I think there's a there's a point where you are, you if you just say like, yeah, you're off, like you're benched for or whatever, like there is a world not with this specific incident, but there is a world in which you're not seen as protecting your players. So the example I gave on our show was um, when I was playing, uh, when I was like 16, I think uh, there was a, like the opposition coach said like I had like 
fouled somebody or something, and I was just like, okay, yeah, buddy, and I like, gave him a thumbs up. And he turned to my coach and was like, dude, are you going to let your player just flick me off? He just told me to fuck off and gave me the finger, which I like, I swear it, thumbs up. Like, I, that wasn't, I was never going to do that. And my coach, like, if he had been, believed him and been like, yeah, you're right, and, and pulled me off, like, that would have sort of been a like, wow, you don't even care about me, you don't care about my opinion, you don't care about, like, who I am as a player, you just took somebody else's word for it. And he looked at me, and I was like, I, I, like, I think he could tell that, you know, they're like, I, I didn't do anything. No, it, like the little kid terrified thing. Yeah. And he was like, he didn't do anything. It's fine. And so I get that. I get the in- inclination of a coach to defend his player, to back his player. I think to your point, when it becomes very clear when your own players are saying, like, nah, he said something. Like, he needs to be off. That's where you got to take him off. And then also, I think where Struber really hurt himself was the way he dealt with it afterwards, the way he talked about it. Yeah. Maybe there's a language barrier part of this, but I think that's where, going back to what I was saying earlier, like there has to be an ability to empathize, to like emotionally process, and then learn from it. And I don't think he did the best job of talking about the impact of it and what he was going through, but how he like has learned from it and what he learned from other players. It just feels like it was sort of like, yeah... You know, it was bad, and we're definitely going to take some action. Like, it just, I think it was the bare minimum at a time when you couldn't, certainly couldn't get away with that. And I guess to some extent they have, but it is, it, it is a one that it felt like got worse as it went on before it got even a little bit better. Yeah, most definitely. I think even MLS kind of backed us up into the corner because a year ago they said like zero tolerance. Like, if you're found guilty mm-hmm. of it, you're suspended, you're found gone. guilty. There it is. How are you going to find him guilty? Found guilty, the player even admitted, like, oh, yeah, I called him a monkey. <laughs> and it's like, all right, there's your proof. Now yeah. you have to go to MLS is like six games? He's a DP, though. Like, there, it does feel like that was part of it. It does feel like if that was. Oh, 100%. Like, it's the famous quote of uh, Jimmy Johnson talking about Mike. It's not race, but it kind of goes in the same constant word. Jimmy Johnson, head coach of Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. is having problems with Michael Irvin. And he talks one day to Troy Smith, uh, Troy Aiken. He's mm-hmm. like, "Did you pick Troy Aiken and Smith one person? I did, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, I thought about Troy Smith, the Heisman Trophy. I was like, uh, wait, okay. he didn't play for them. And then I remember <laughs> Troy Aiken. Um, and he was talking to Troy. He was like, "I'm thinking about cutting Michael." And he was like, "Don't do that yep. because that destroys the dynasty." Yep. He was like, "You cut the fourth string tight end, who's his buddy, and that get Michael's in line." And that's, wow. Yeah, that 100% goes to your point of, like, mm-hmm. if this is, like, a random center back on some team, yeah, rest of the year suspended or mm-hmm. cut, gone. But a DP player, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, and it's, like, again, not not uh, racism, but there's the thing with, with John Harks where he's captain for life of the U.S. national team and then we know now was having an affair with Eric Winalda's wife, the head coach Steve Which Sampson. gets bought up every Richmond and Greenville game, by the way. I imagine it did. <laughs> uh, and it should because uh, it was a scumbag move. And he gets dropped, John Harks, and then the U.S. does terribly in 98. And all the coverage is Steve Sampson goes with a 361 and he's an idiot and he dropped John Harks. And only years later do we learn that – like. Why he was dropped, but also we learned that Eric Winaldo was even, and I think Alexi Lawless, who were roommates at the time, were both saying, like, don't cut him. Like, he's too good for this team. And so, even at a time when the coach does do the right thing, I would say, it can't be publicly discussed, I guess. And so, you still end up getting the coverage being, what an idiot this coach was, as opposed to, oh, he made a move to, like, protect the, the squad and protect a player. It, it's, I think that's, to me, is, is another example of, how we talk about athletes or how we choose to talk about athletes yeah. and their decisions. It's kind of like if you're a favorite of move, you got to talk about it positively. If you're not a favorite, you're going to cover it negatively. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Kind of how it goes. So I think another thing, too, that we talked about it earlier, Josie Altador. Mm. Now, he's a player that's spoken against racism, been very prominent about it, um, and been one of the people that kind of had to deal with it from American fans after you know the failure to qualify in 2018 mm-hmm. and how he kind of got – and it's kind of weird because him and Bradley are both kind of looked at. Well, him, Bradley, and who was the center back? Um, Omar. Omar. Mm-hmm. Perfect example right there. You have a white American, black American, Mexican American. It is kind of crazy how all three of them are covering different ways. Like, well, Bradley, it's, oh, he's a daddy sign. You know, he's too slow, this, mm-hmm. that, and third. But where 
with Omar and Jose, it was do they understand what it means to be American? Hmm. Like, do they understand like like they're lazy? They could have done this. They could have done that. La- yeah, the yeah. Lazy it ones, was more yeah. personal attacks than versus like where Bradley. It felt more like physical attributes that were being attacked. With them, it was more like personal attacks yeah. on their character. Yeah, and I think that's like like Josie. He got into it, I think, on Twitter with Taylor Twelman. Like, yeah. And it, and it felt very, like, out of nowhere. That's the one where Bobby Warshaw caught astray for, like, how many more, like, Bobby Warshaw and Taylor Twelmans do we need to hear from or something like that uh, <laughs> is, is what Josie said. But I think, yeah, that that's sort of, as I understand it, though it seemed sort of like he – I think he was responding to something Taylor Twelman said that wasn't about anything that, that – about race or anything like that. But I think there was a frustration there with the way – People in the media talk about players, especially players of color, and how it tends to be I, I don't know, just they don't choose their words very carefully. Or yeah. it goes as far as the one I always point to is like Warren Barton when he was covering I think it was Japan and Senegal in twenty eighteen and he clearly knew uh he knew Sajo Mane and he knew two Japanese players, and outside of that it was pace and power and it was discipline and hard work, and it was just like you are Steering strong into those stereotypes. <laughs> and that's, again, where I think people sometimes don't really realize what they're saying or, at the very least, I don't know, how it comes off or how easily that can be just a sign that you're not really doing your work, but you're instead referring to a person by their sort of, like, yeah. base characteristics as you understand them. And I think that's the thing, like, a lot of independent, 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 independent soccer media kind of falls on when describing black players mm-hmm. of like, oh, pace and power or like, matter of fact, the fam- most famous example, um, what was it? When Violet AC, which by the way, go back and check out that last episode because mm-hmm. we recorded it and that was wonderful. Um, a lot of people were talking about them on Twitter about like, oh, Austin FC lost to this little Haitian team mm-hmm. and whatnot. And it's like, say their name. Mm-hmm. Like say like oh yeah, yeah things like that like people don't realize like things like that mm-hmm. de- like diminishes the accomplishment that people of color or like teams of color do yeah that's that seems to cross race and gender lines as I understand it because yeah. there's so many of those like JJ Watt's wife scores a goal and it's like she's got a name yeah. <laughs> like like there's a lot. Uh, uh, of that when when you talk about teams in a very generic way or players in a very generic right. way. It's yeah. like, say their name. Like, mm-hmm. they're the one that did the accomplishments. Pump them up. Yep. You know, don't diminish them to make fun of someone else. Yeah. And I think that, like, that's something a lot of people in media, like, we have to be aware of. It's like, all right, am I writing or covering this story in terms of making fun of someone mm-hmm. or am I covering it to prop up someone else? And that, yeah. me personally, like, I try to lean more towards – Propping someone else up. Like, I think, like, it was so great for me when I first got started. Like, I had you and Daryl to rely on. Whereas, like, I heard Daryl a lot of times talk about, like, don't spend a lot of time trying to troll people. Like, anyone, what? like, troll people. Oh, yeah. Or be, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what's it called? Like, uh, hot, hot button. Yeah. Avoid being hot. Take. hot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you get nowhere with that. Like, yeah, you get a little coverage. You get a couple of retweets here and there. But, like, are you investing or putting anything into. Yeah. You, yeah, being your like authentic self versus being a media character who yeah. who yells nonsense. Yeah, no, I would say always being authentic wins out for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. So that's that's. I do think it's like I'll stop taking us no, off on tangents. Fine. I do. I'd like to know what you think because like yeah. I think Bill Burr has a joke about along these lines where he's talking about the language we use when we talk about athletes. And mm-hmm. specifically he was saying, he was responding to a friend of his who was pointing out that oftentimes when we talk about white athletes, we talk about their intelligence. When uh, you know, when a, a, a player does something smart and they're white, it's how smart they are, intelligence, how good their game IQ is. When a black player does it, it's athleticism. Yeah. And uh, I think that there is truth to what Burr argues, which is basically like if you read a defense – it's an intelligent move. No matter what your skin color is, if you can read a defense and pick out like the open receiver and get it to him, that is intelligence and processing speed. If you dunk from the free throw line, that is athleticism. And it's not as though like white dudes just haven't thought to do that. There is an athletic component to it. And I think, though, that like there is truth in that. And simultaneously, if you rely on that as your like number one way of describing a player, you're sort of telling on yourself. So I think yeah. it's, it's shades of gray where like, when Victor Osimhen 
runs through a defense and like uses his speed and holds off two guys, that is pace and power. But when you only ever talk about him as being strong and well built and like you know like where do you get those genes from? You see where it kind of goes yeah. into it. Whereas like Gareth Bale. We talk about that that one run he has where he like like outruns everybody, but then it's the technical control and the ability to finish and the precision of his vi- vision and and I think that's the stuff where people sometimes fall down is not going to that next level. Yeah, one context is everything, and I think like yeah. I feel like that's what our whole conversation here about like context is everything, mm-hmm. but like intentionality matters. Like if if you're willing to put in, and a lot of it requires work. Like you have to be intentional in everything that you say and everything that you do. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I'm going to talk about Victor Olsman, yeah, I can focus on like, yeah, this is a great physical mm-hmm. move. Look at the way he, he uses speed burst here. But I could also mention like his intelligence mm-hmm. of breaking the line and splitting the line between two center backs and how he knows when to jump at the precise moment. Yeah. You know, it, that's kind of context matters. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Or like, And I think there's like uh, – I think Joe or maybe Graham on our show – made a point once of, like, yes, he has incredible speed to be able to get away from that defender and to run through those two defenders. But, like, don't forget that the way he was able to do that is by bringing down a long clearance, like, with one touch as he turned. So it's, like, incredible technical ability and control that sets him up there. And we sometimes maybe don't focus on that technical control or the ability to process that information, but instead, like, he's real fast. And that's what we talk about. Yeah. Avoid the lazy takes, people. Mm. They get you nowhere. <laughs> we should note that Elliot is wearing a MAGA hat throughout recording. I just want to keep uh, going back to that one. This is a Richmond Kickers hat, so <laughs> that's a MAGA hat. Then. Well, <laughs> go do, you, do you feel comfortable anytime you see a person in a red hat? Because I still don't. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Hell I had my, my parents, when my brother was born, they were uh, – my dad was stationed in Alaska. Uh, and that's – so, like, they, they had this – he had this like red hat from a bar in Anchorage, Alaska, where they would go. That I still have, but I like <laughs> I can't. Um, oh, yeah. There's no red hats being worn in public no, by this even guy. Even when like black people were doing like the the parody versions of the hat, uh-huh. I hated them so much because I was like, it's you're still, still giving yeah, you're still mm-hmm. giving him the spotlight. Yep, 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 yep. <clears throat> you know stuff like that. So I try to avoid all that stuff. Um, so the last league we got to talk about. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> there's another league. Um, Nisa fans, don't get mad. I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't look at the Nisa, but I think there's more problems with Nisa than what we can cover here. Um, USL. Um, and the reason why we put USL is because we're both Richmond Kickers fans, and this is a league mm-hmm. that we both deal with. And I would say they have probably – they've done a good job on some fronts. Now, there's – Obviously, Uh-oh. the standard point is uh-huh. San Diego, where Landon yep. Donovan had the famous soundbite of, what the fuck are you doing? Yep. <laughs> um, but I think in terms of like what the league is trying to do, and I think the reason why they're able to maybe do more than what MLS is able to do is because, mm-hmm. one, it's a smaller footnote on the, on the yep. nation as a whole. But then also, there's more black representation. Mm-hmm. And there's also... What I think the main point about this is is that also you have like the USBPA, which is also brought up by the Players Association. Mm-hmm. So you have the Players Association, then the USBPA, they're kind of all built in together as one. Yeah. But they're like, hey, yes, we represent the players, but you also have to look at this other component as well. So the league can't just be like, oh, well, you came 10 years later. Mm-hmm. We'll deal with you when we deal with you. It's kind of like they got to deal with them at yeah. the same front. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also – it's a weird one where, like, having said that maybe there's less of a spotlight on certain leagues, there's certainly less of a spotlight on USL. But I would say it goes so far as because of that, they have to care about what people think and what people are feeling yeah. and the response from fans. I do think that if there were – I mean, maybe – again, maybe I'm completely missing a, a very obvious example of this not being the case. But I do think that if uh, if a kicker's player – said something and it was I guess proved, found to be the case I feel like USL is much more likely to be like well they're banned from the league forever because I think their fan outcry and supporter frustration and and the like and, and organized campaigns is going to have a bigger impact because USL can't afford to have a bunch of people not show up to games yeah. it has a much bigger impact yeah. the Premier League can weather that storm Major League Soccer I guess can kind of hold on and see what happens I think smaller leagues are leagues that really rely on attendance, have to have more of uh, reactivity to it. Yeah. So this is the quote USL said. 
is that to the entire USL community, we know comments like these are just intentional steps. We also know that the hard work is still to come and there remains immense room for improvement. With that said, it is our hope that the United Against Racism will help lay the foundation for a period of growth, action, and meaningful change across the USL ecosystem. Each year, we intend to learn, improve, get better. On behalf of everyone at USL HQ, we thank you for your time and energy and support that came from um, former president who just left earlier this week. But in this statement, I think it's important to look at it like USL. This is the first quote that I read from any other leagues, whereas like USL realizes like, all right, we're doing the work, but there's more for us to do. And I also think it helps that like you have people like Hugh Roberts, who used to play for Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, my my favorite. Yeah, right. The thumbs up. <laughs> you remember that? Like yes. you would. I, that's. I love Hugh because he would receive a pass and be like, "Hey, good pass!" Like he was that type of player. That's yeah. the guy I always loved playing with. I love Hugh Roberts. <laughs> um, also, shout out to him. He's about to get married soon. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. About to get married. Oh, so shout out to Hugh. But like, you have players like Hugh Roberts, Brandon Miller, um, others across the league that are like doing the work to make sure that the league is held accountable, even with like the anti-racism uh, society that's like making sure that the league is being held accountable, even with like as much stick as people want to give Detroit City, like their supporters group mm-hmm. is looking for. And I think you're right about saying that, like how a lot of the stuff that the league has is a lot of fan-driven stuff. So it's like the league has to recognize that. Mm-hmm. Whereas like even, like for me, like I cover USL League One with, Two other black people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't have that, whereas, like, three black people are kind of, like, the main talking voices for a league, you know? So it's like the league has to understand and have some cognitive sense of being yeah. like, okay, we have to take the steps that we do to handle racism seriously because if we don't, it's going to reflect on us poorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I also think that, like, the size of the league, then, you're more inclined – you're more likely to get access, you know? You're more, yeah. like – uh, did you ever interview Jake Edwards, or did you ever try to? No, I never tried. See, I feel like if you had tried to, he would have been like, sure. Like, uh, like if you tried to interview Don Garber, nope, that yeah. ain't happening. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, like, I think, and so that makes me really happy, like, that that's your experience, because I think that that's, I think, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, like, there's been so many barriers to people getting into soccer just from... Like just general gatekeeping of like, oh, you glory hunter, oh, you're not into it. Oh, you call it soccer? It's called football. You call them cleats? They're called stuff like or boots or whatever. Like, I think that's just like a basic level of like barrier to entry. But I think there's lots of others along the way uh, that makes me really happy that that USL has been more receptive or at least somewhat receptive yeah. and has like, I don't know, if facilitate is the wrong word, but like that that's a possibility. Yeah. That 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 y'all can be like such prominent members of the the USL media community. Yeah, and I mean, not saying we've been working them every term, but I think there's also <laughs> this. <laughs> Again, all, I've all, met you. I know that all, all this building for nothing. <laughs> um, I, I think it's also just a standpoint of like, I think when it comes to USL, <clears throat> I think they have more programs in place to make sure that hmm. like my biggest thing is that yes. Racism is going to happen. Can you uh, can you stop it when it does? No, because you don't know the actions of an individual person in the heat of a moment mm-hmm. or whatever comes out of their mouth. But I think the thing, like, if you want to show the real change happens, I don't think it just comes from suspending a player and pushing them away. Mm-hmm. But I also think it, I don't think you get changed where you just baby them and be like, oh, it's okay, come back. Yeah, I think you like you have to put like my thing I said about like. I know we already talked about MLS, but like MLS, for instance, but I talked about like what I would have saw was like, yo, give them 10 to 15 games, but like in those 10 to 15 games, I think that equals out to like nine. Like if you did, if you did a 10 game suspension, that would be 900 minutes of, like I was like, give them 900 minutes of community service, mm-hmm. right? So not only is he serving suspension, but he's having the 900 minutes of community service mm-hmm. and, um, a person of color uh, community center. Mm-hmm. So that way, like, he knows. Like, there's there's impact and, like, there's, there's something to build upon. Like, he knows, yeah. like, yo, I affected people this way. And he can learn. So that way you're not having this use of, well, he's from another country. He doesn't know any better. Yeah. And also take, like, a racial That's a really good point. That's a, a good racial point. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's more than just suspending them and pushing them away. Yep. Because mm-hmm. you're not learning anything. Like, yeah. it, it kind of goes back to, like, in school. Like, when you get suspended from school, 
depending on what school you went to, the teacher would either send you work or not. So when you come back to school, you can either be 10 days behind or you can be kind of on the same page with everyone else. Yeah. But it kind of depends on like how do you vary it. And then, and then I guess that goes to the idea of like intentionality and authenticity that if Von Zier comes back from doing 900 minutes of community service in a, in a like, I don't know, a, like a, a black community center yeah. and then is like, here's what I learned and here's what I hadn't thought about and here's what I understand. Like maybe that's a little bit too Disney <laughs> or, or whatever. But at the same time, I think you can tell when a person is genuinely affected and is genuinely aware or like yeah. communicating authentic beliefs versus like, yes, it was very meaningful. And uh, let me read my statement real quick. Right. Uh, I will no longer like it's just like you yeah. can tell when it's not real. And if it's not real, then kick rocks but right. if it is real then like they learn something and i think to your point that's kind of the best situation you can hope for is education and improvement yeah so i think the i mean also i forgot to mention that like there are a couple of programs so like we talked like, earlier like the no room for racism i did find this out syria has a program it's called keep racism out of stadiums that's very vague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep it out. We're, yeah, we're talking Don't about Syria. Yeah. Um, they can't even keep, like, Vespa scooters out of Milan stadiums. They're not no. keeping racism. First of all, how do you break a whole scooter in stadium? I mean, it's ridiculous. And <laughs> it, it, it speaks to the lack of security, maybe the lack of policing that might be happening. I doubt racism is What's the famous meme of, like, the uh, usher just pat, well, like, waving a guy, just like, eh, come <laughs> oh, yeah. on? Yeah. It's like the, yeah, the stewards on the ground just be like, I think it's like them with their arms out. Like, you cannot pass. And people just walk right past. Like, Someone just brought a scooter was yeah, like, exactly. Dad. Come yeah, on. <laughs> yeah. And then threw it over the railing. What else are you going to do with it? Oh. Um, yeah, Italy. You're right. Uh, we also talk about Reds Against Racism, which is Byron led. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fair, which I believe, which is uh, football against racism, which I believe is La Liga. And then United Against Racism is, of course, USL. And I think the best way I had to look at it is like, like you mentioned before earlier, like, it comes down to money, which sucks, but it's like, USL isn't going to take their head on money, so they're going to do more. Mm-hmm. Where, like, the Premier League is like, how bad was the racism? Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, and, and they've taken action before because it was, what, Suarez got banned, I think, and certainly sanctioned. Yeah. But then you have you have plenty of stuff that doesn't get uh, sanctioned or banned or policed right. the way it should be. So, you know, it's a, it's going to be a thing for a very long time because it's a thing in, in the world. But I also... I don't know. I'm heartened by, at least in the U.S., you doing a podcast and being involved <laughs> in soccer. And I think the more people that are involved in soccer who weren't or haven't been, the the better. And I think the more doors are opened, the better it's going to be. So yeah. I don't know. I it it's like a it's a really depressing thing, and then occasionally uh, like a not uplifting, but I guess a heartening thing that there's more dialogue about it than there's been before. Yeah. And I mean, like, me personally, like, I've had thoughts about, like, well, like, for Kid I Kick It fans, like, I had thoughts of, like, does this podcast matter? Like, are people really taking this information in? Are they really learning from it? Like, because there's supposed to be evergreen episodes. Like, are people learning or just being a talking mm-hmm. head? Mm-hmm. And then, like, I think I, I think it was with you. Like, yeah, that, that never goes away, man. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's always there. <laughs> and you were just like, no, man, that never goes away. But yep. it's like, if you're being intentional with what you're talking about and mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, you're putting out positive information mm-hmm. and people can learn to digest it, then it's always going to be a door there for people to learn from. And hopefully yeah. this is an episode where people learn from it. I know we're never going to, you know, I'll be crazy to think, like, we're never going to stop having these conversations. But I think, like... For me personally, I think another reason why I wanted to do this episode because not enough people were talking. People were talking about w- what he did, mm-hmm. but not what needed to be done or mm-hmm. what led to him him feeling as if like it's okay. Yeah, and I think we're, we're going long. Obviously, you said we we're going to be thirty minutes. I yeah, think I we're, realized that. We're, we're well over that yeah. one. But like, I think that's another one where probably the lack of representation is an issue that. I think if you're Don Garber or, I don't know, the head of the disciplinary committee and you're trying to come up with it with, uh, like, a reaction to it, I think – like, I would say, like, no, he's got to go. He's got to be kicked out because that's yeah. how you do it. And I think that's a not considering other people's perspective, whereas you coming in and saying, like, no, I think education is important. I don't know if this makes sense, but, like, I wouldn't – presume I wouldn't want to say that me because I would then feel like am I letting him off the hook am I being like well it's another white guy we should just educate him it'll be fun like I think there is when you don't have the diversity uh, as you're talking about with MLS 
it then it becomes a problem in different ways like that. Because yeah. I think if, if someone is there to say, like, no, we should educate him and, like, Don Garber can trust that person, then I think it's going to be more of a possibility. Yeah. Whereas I think for a lot of white people, they would want to be like, no, he's got to go. No, we, we can't. Yeah. Like, it's bad. It's bad. We just got to get rid of it. We're doing it right, right? We're doing it okay? Like, I think yeah. there's people looking to approval uh, for rather than sort of examining what should we be doing. Basically. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I think, like, you uh, is the famous quote that, like, my mom always said, but, like, when I first became a teacher, it was like... The famous quote that your mom said? Yeah. yeah well, she <laughs> yeah. said that. I, was, I like, it. like You can't rule with an iron fist, but you can't rule with a teddy bear either. Yeah. Of, like, you have to straddle that middle ground, knowing when to, like, be, like, mm-hmm. be heavy-handed, but also know, like, yo, I, I care for you. Like, I, I think it also comes down, like, Think about it like in terms of football. Like mm-hmm. the best managers know when to be like strict and stringent, but he also know like Jose Mourinho. Mm-hmm. He knows when to be strict and stringent, but he also know when to be loving and caring. Yep. And I think like that's what I feel like a lot of black fans of soccer want to see when it comes to things like this. Like <clears throat> you're always gonna have some people that are like, no, kick him out. I don't want to hear from him ever again. Whereas like. Or you see it on Twitter where it's like, yeah, that's cool. But it's like, all right, let's be realistic. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, they're not just going to kick them out. So it's like, all right, if you take the chance, if you you take the chance to educate them and try to help them improve, I look at it like Mm -hmm. in terms of like, it's then on that person to take that information and make the changes. Now, if this happens again or if they don't learn from it, then, yes, remove them. They're done. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you can say without a shadow of a doubt, I've done everything possible possible in my ability to help this person change to you know further education things that whether you're black or white because let's be real as well like black people can say hurtful things as well just look at like um God what's his name he played in the league on now but he played at the time at Phoenix uh, Junior he played for the Jamaican Nationals I can't remember his name but like he said something he he made a uh, uh, a slur. He said a slur. Uh, I think it was like a gay slur at the time. But like, even for him, like I can't be like, oh, well, don't punish him. Keep mm-hmm. him safe. But it's like, no. Like, if I'm gonna mm-hmm. demand the same thing for racial, just I have to demand the same thing for yeah. uh, like that. It is like you get to me. I know I'm very weird in this, but it's like I feel like you know, if you make a mistake, yes, I I will I will, I have to reprimand you, but I'm also gonna take the time to educate yeah. you as well. It's about yeah. It's not just punishment. It's about education and reform. Yeah. yeah. Now we're moving into prison talk. I think yeah. <laughs> when it comes to incarceration versus God, reform. This yeah, is the yeah. teacher. So I think this is probably a good part to stop at. Yeah. But man, it was an absolute pleasure to do this with you, man. All right, that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, like I, I mean, I before. hope, I hope, I hope it was enjoyable or at least tolerable. I don't know. I mean, again, I, I never feel like fully comfortable that I should be talking about things or that people need to hear my opinion on such things. But I like talking to you about it. I like hearing your opinion. But I think that's also the positive thing in it when you feel uncomfortable about it. Like that's when you get the true, the the true essence of what it can be. Like, I like that. You know, like we're not going to solve anything. Once again, we're both married. So we know Uh we're not going to solve any any problem in our marriage on our own. (laughs) Yep. Unless we talk to our partner about yep. it. So we have to talk. And sometimes a lot of those conversations are uncomfortable mm-hmm. and you cannot run away from them. Nope. Like no matter how hard you try, you have to talk about it. Whether it's finances or ch- childcare mm-hmm. or whatever, you have to talk about it. And if you can come to a – you being, don't always being have to – Being too energetic in the morning, I get that one. I get, <sighs> I get – she's like, it's too much. It's oh, too you much. get that? I get that. I'm not energetic enough because uh, I'm not a murder person. Yeah. I think I used to. Once we added a toddler to the mix, my energy – yeah. down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> but even like so even in that it's like you have to like you don't always have to agree but you have to come to a commonality yeah. of like alright this is how we're doing this yep. and I think that's what we're pretty much talking about here of mm-hmm. like alright this is how the leagues are doing it what is this missing step of you say zero tolerance but why aren't you implementing it and I think like we are trying to understand why aren't they but then also looking at it in terms of like why can't they and I think that's like a positive kind of conversation. Yeah, I think I think it is because I think if you ask them what zero tolerance means, they wouldn't be able to give you a succinct answer. They'd yeah. have to consult with legal before they could tell you. So I think 
the idea of education, better information, better communication, better dialogue probably solves things a lot more readily and also I think is less polarizing. I don't think – I think as soon as you ban a player for – let's not even talk about Van Zier. But if you're banning a player for like allegedly saying something and they say I didn't say that and then there's like other people who say they did, that isn't going to be immediately polarizing and that's something that, you know, like – Right wing media picks up on, and then left wing media defends, and then and like it's it's you're having conversations that aren't really about the thing. Versus, I don't think anyone's going to say like six game suspension, ten game suspension, and in that time he has to do this and this and this and this. And if he satisfies all these things, like I I, I think then there is probably more. It just makes it less of a story, and I think yeah. in some ways it needs to be a story, but in other ways, like the story needs to have a successful resolution as opposed to just sort of, eh, we'll see what happens as time goes on and if people are that mad about it in a couple months. In the words of Gattuso, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. <laughs> That's the best. Oh, <laughs> sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. <laughs> Damn, that sounds on Lee's Devil Racer. But I think, I think this is a good stopping point, man. Um, so once yep. again, listeners... We don't have all the answers, but we try to provide them to you. Like we do with all these podcasts, we try to give you a little bit of information and challenge you to have these tough conversations. And if you feel yourself having a hard time with it, then I think you're in the right lane. Like as long as you keep challenging yourself and challenging what you believe in and challenging those around you, I mm-hmm. think if you're doing it in a positive way, don't be a dickhead about it. I'm uh, going to put that disclaimer out there. A good disclaimer. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're going about it right way. But Taylor – where can people reach out to you and your lovely show, sir? Oh, yeah. Uh, Total Soccer Show, wherever you get your podcast. We also do Soccer 101. If you're new to soccer or getting into it or just want to learn a little bit more, we go over basic stuff like what do the numbers mean? Like why are there certain numbers? What are the positions? How big is the field? But also why is Pele so well known? Why does like Brazil wear yellow? Uh, lots of random topics in there. We just did uh, approaches to getting promoted, promoted, and what happens if you're promoted, how you can handle that, and then also approaches to relegation, what relegation is, how teams handle it, what it can mean, the potential silver linings of relegation. Mm-hmm. So interesting stuff in there. Soccer 101 and then the Total Soccer Show. Oh, there we go. So um, listeners, once again, this is Can I Kick It? FC, the black 30 for 30, I like to call it, um, <laughs> of soccer. Um, and with that being said, we will holler at you guys next week. As always, be safe and be easy. See you guys on the next show. Bye.